Thank you so much, Pastor Kenneth. Thank you, Shemaine. Thank you, Scott, for the beautiful song expressing the real joy that we have in Jesus and the message of Easter. A blessed Easter, everyone. And I pray that you've been blessed by hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, spending time with Him, and especially in the messages that were put out over the week, maybe the seven meditations, maybe the Easter Presbytery sermons as part of Easter Convention. We know here in Singapore that the government in its responsibility is trying what we call a circuit breaker. And so as part of this circuit breaker, it will be harder for us to um, record our messages and our music together. So this will be perhaps for this month, the final recording where we have our musicians uh, physically here. And so in the weeks ahead, we will just record the message. So we ask for your understanding and actually we are recording this before the circuit breaker kicks in on April the 7th on a Tuesday. I do not know whether you keep pets when our kids were young. Uh, we've always kept pets. And one time, we, we kept a rabbit. So we, we got the rabbit from a pet shop. And when we got it, um, the pet shop told us that it was a female, so we named it Melody. But somewhere along the line, as we kept Melody, we discovered subsequently that Melody was actually a male. And so we had to rename Melody Mackie. Not his fault, but our mixed up. And so we also had a dog, a husky, and they had a, I would say, between the rabbit, Mackie, and our dog, they had a running relationship, a love-hate relationship. And so we kept Mackie out there in the garden in quite a big cage, so quite a lot of space to roam around. And ever so often, our dog Tisha would come along and just sniff out the cage, and Mackie wouldn't like that. And what would Mackie do? Mackie would actually pee in, in his face, right? As sort of a protective mechanism, I guess, as part of territory. And so this went on for quite a, quite a long time. One day I was sitting at our dining table, which overlooked our little garden, and then I heard a click sound. And before I knew it, I saw our rabbit dash out. So I got up and I went out to see what had happened. It obviously had come up from the cage. And as I turned, I saw the dog run after it. And before we knew it, boom, Mackie was gone. So what did Mackie die of? Uh, to this day, we don't know. But it was perhaps because of animal vendetta or payback. So uh, Mackie's passing away is a, is a passing away, a death that we will not forget for a long time. And so that leads us into what we are talking about today. So hopefully the first slide comes on. There are many ways to die. Unnatural deaths, I guess you call, call Mackie, our rabbit's death, an unnatural death. They are natural deaths, they are tragic deaths, they are heroic deaths, they are premature deaths. I would always remember a tragic death. We were in primary four and remember the teacher coming in and just whispering to one of our classmates, this, this girl, and um, she whispered into her ear and packed her back and then they left. And we found out as a classmates later that her mother had passed away in a car accident. And up to today, I mean, we still remember it as her classmates who still keep in touch by WhatsApp. And so deaths, they are memorable ones, they are sad ones, they are natural ones, they are natural ones. And so we need to ask ourselves, what's our view 
of death. What's your view? What's my view? People sitting there in the lounge room, you listening to this, what are the views around in our world? So, three main views. Medical view, a medical definition of death, if you get a doctor to come along to certify a death. Um, no more pals, no more heartbeat, pupils uh, are fixed, and then the pronouncement of death. So there'll be a medical definition. Maybe a religious definition is um, different religions or different philosophies believe different things, and some believe that death is but the beginning of a new cycle of life. And some would say that death is just natural, it's part of, isn't that part of evolution? Born only to die, born only to die, and it's survival of the fittest. And if you ask some people, right, maybe with those sitting around in your lounge now, in your family, listening to this, watching this, what's your view of death? It's not an easy to topic to talk about, and some people will give you the answer, whatever, and in English, whatever la. Whatever is our view of death, it still has a 100% mortality rate. Whether we think of it medically, whether we think of it religiously, whether we think of it secularly, whether we think of it as evolution, we will all die. And so we need to be slightly more honest about our views of death. Today, we're going to look at the death of Jesus, and more importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. And there are two points of that one phase of Jesus' life. Remember last week, in Mark chapter 15, this is what we read. To know Jesus truly, and to truly know Jesus, we need to know about his death. Because totally unlike the rest of us in humanity, we don't come to know him simply by his life but the meaning, the significance, the implications of his death. And to understand Jesus' death, we said last week from Mark chapter 15, we need to understand Psalm 22. Why? Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his final words was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is a quotation from Psalm 22. And so, we're going to pick up the account, the narrative as God spoke it to Mark to write it for us. So we call this Mark's gospel. He wrote this. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with Jesus to Jerusalem. So when you read this, and especially in the final moments of Jesus' life, Him, our Lord, dying on the cross, this is what we get. We get women, women everywhere. And the men, beginning with the disciples, were nowhere to be found. Of course, the crowds were nowhere to be found. The religious establishment was nowhere to be found. So if you read this account with some care, remember from last week, Mark chapter 15, verse 21 onwards to verse 41. It contained all the scoffers. The scoffers, the crowds, the soldiers who beat Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes who walked by, and the passerbys who walked by, who derided him, who mocked him, who shamed Jesus. 
But from chapter 15, verse 42 onwards, it moves, Mark now moves from the scoffers at the foot of the cross to the followers. And the followers of Jesus to the end of his life, to his last breath, were totally, if there was one word, totally unexpected. Unexpected? We had unexpected faithful women who had journeyed with Jesus all the way after they had been so touched by his word and his works. And then we have an unexpected converted Gentile, the first to hear the gospel and the first to respond to the good news. Truly, this must be the Son of God. And then we have the unexpected Jewish leader in Joseph Arimathea, whom we will look at at this point. So the account records for us the movement from the scoffers of Jesus' death to the followers puzzled but still hanging on by their fingernails to who he is and what his death would mean. And so what was so unexpected about women? Because at that time, women and women's testimony was not regarded as legit in a court of law. So women would never be asked to be witnesses, not credible. But as we will see, in God's incredible saving plan, He would turn this woman, this unexpected faithful woman, into incredible witnesses of the most important person and the most important event in human history, the death of Jesus. And so, the narrative carries on. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. And so, if you had any Jewish background, you would know that there is now a crisis for the women and the followers, which is the burial of Jesus. Crisis? When people die, crisis for their burial. Most of us, if our loved ones pass away, here in Singapore, all around the world, there are only two main alternatives. We either go to a crematorium for the cremation, or we go to a cemetery for the burial. So usually with the passing of a loved one, we don't have any obstacles or problems. But what was the problem here? The background is very important. And the background is this. In Jewish law given by God, recorded in Deuteronomy 21, it says this, If someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death, and that's what they killed Jesus for, wrongly accused, capital offence, is put to death, and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Why? You must not do this in God's land. Be sure to bury it on the same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate or make unclean the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So in Jewish law, it's very important that if someone who has committed a capital offence has been put to death, their body must be brought down in the same day. But there was only one problem. Because the Jews at the time were not an independent, autonomous nation. They were conquered and colonized and ruled by Rome, 
and Roman soldiers. And in Roman law, the Romans denied burial for who? The Romans denied burial for those who were treacherous against Caesar, the emperor, and against the empire. So you have this tension. In Jewish law, they had to take down this body or else it would desecrate the holy land. So an unburied corpse defiles the land. Yet in Roman law, in which the Jews lived under, they were denied burial of someone who was a terrorist, someone who rebelled against Caesar and the empire. And the third thing added into this is that the Sabbath is near. And once the Sabbath kicks in, it's 24 hours of doing absolutely nothing, let alone begin with all the things that we have to do for a burial, a, prop, a proper burial. And so what did they face? They faced what we would call an unsolvable crisis, and especially an unsolvable crisis because they were women and they were not local to the city of Jerusalem. They were outsiders. If you ever experienced this, that a loved one passed away when you were overseas, and oh, if someone passed away in your own place, in your own country, you know all the things to do, but overseas, and so they were in the capital city. Who could they reach out to before the Sabbath kick in and they would be disobeying God by leaving a corpse on a pole, leaving Jesus on the cross? And so you ever, saw, ever face an unsolvable problem? I guess you could call COVID-19 an unsolvable problem because we don't know when we're going to find a vaccine for it. And it has massive implications for us personally and massive implications. They had an unsolvable problem. The person they believed in, the person they followed, called Jesus, had just been killed. But they believed in his innocence and wanted to give him a burial, a proper burial, Jewish style, but they could not do it. And so, how did they resolve it under God? This is what the narrative says, the story says. Joseph of Arimathea, who is he? The first identification of who he is, he's a respected member of the highest ruling council of Israel, the Sanhedrin. And so, respected member. And he was himself looking for the kingdom of God. Because sometimes you may have the rank, but your heart is not with God. He was not such a leader. He was not such a Jewish religious leader, just by title, by token, but not at heart. He was longing for the return of God. How? That God would send one day His Messiah to usher in the rightful rule of God. And then because of these two descriptions, he took courage and he gathered up enough personal bravery to do what? He gathered up enough personal bravery to ask the governor, the Roman governor, Pilate, for the body of Jesus. And the record goes on this way. The lesson learned for us is a very important one at this point. Joseph Arimathea was perhaps, up to this point, a closet follower, maybe from arm's length, because he was part of the Sanhedrin, he couldn't come out and say that he was a follower of this small-town teacher, a small-town rabbi called Jesus, who was really drawing the crowds 
more than any of the religious leaders. But now, when Jesus had been crucified, he comes out into the open and he offers in all likelihood the tomb, the family tomb of his household. Because in those days, to have a tomb cut out of rock, only those who were well-to-do could afford it. And so, what we see here is, even at the point of Jesus' death, God is still in charge, absolutely in charge, of the big story of saving His people and saving the world through His people, and the small details down to who will give Jesus a decent burial. How will they solve this unsolvable problem that the faithful women were facing? And this is how God works in the details to accomplish His great plan of salvation. Joseph was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Jesus would have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether Jesus was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. The story unfolds. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, Joseph saw where he was laid. Can you see not just the openness of this? The openness of Joseph coming out from being a closet disciple to being a public follower by offering the tomb for Jesus' body. But notice not just his openness, but his tenderness. The taking down of Jesus, the wrapping of him in the linen shroud, and then the laying of him as gently and as dignified away when he was treated by everyone with mockery and derision and humiliation. Here was Joseph of Arimathea, raised by God to give a decent, dignified ending to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we said about the women? Before we get there, an important thing to, very, to take note, a very important thing, look at all the verses telling of the last moments of Jesus' life, his death, his burial. Verse 44, he had already died. And Pilate asked whether he was already dead. Verse 45, he learned from the centurion he was dead. So he asked the question, the confirmation was given by none less than the centurion who was very used and a master of how to kill and how to make sure that people die as punishment. And he was laid in a tomb Jesus, and then he saw that he was late. And the message of the whole narrative is Jesus had really died on the cross. And this is so important because through time over the last 2,000 years, critics, scoffers have come along, maybe like the scoffers at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus die in his last moment and say, no, I don't think he died. He just fainted. He just passed out. And then as they lay him in the coolness of that tomb, he probably breathed and he resuscitated and then he rolled away the stone. Friends, the account tells us without a doubt, from the Roman ruler's perspective, 
From the Roman seasoned Roman soldier's perspective, this man was truly dead. And to seal it off, there was a huge stone guarding the tomb. And then we go now to chapter 16. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, where did they go? They went to the tomb. The tomb. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. In all likelihood, this is an angel. And this is an angel, the message sent from God, the heavenly message sent from God to earth is simply this. He is risen. And so remember the women? They are under God's purposes, God's sovereign purposes, incredible witnesses. In chapter 15, verse 40, they witnessed Jesus' death. In chapter 15, verse 47, they witnessed Jesus' burial. In chapter 16, verse 6, they witnessed Jesus' empty tomb. Didn't we see him roll in? Didn't we see the stone roll over its opening? And now they are the first recipients, the first hearers, the first witnesses of the good news. He is not here. He has risen. Go tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. What are the lessons for us? Yes, Jesus truly died. They made sure of that. They made sure of that professionally. They made sure of that from every point of view. But Jesus is also risen because there is no trace of his body. And the message is, go to Galilee. Why is Galilee so important? You should have expected Jesus is risen. He should actually go to God's city, Jerusalem, and proclaim, proclaim that God's king has come, not Jerusalem, but to Galilee. And Galilee is called Galilee of the Gentiles. And the message being sent here is a very important one, a very important one, that this will not be God's king coming to save them, save them from Roman rule, save them by military power, save them by political cleverness. No, it is Jesus coming as God's king to save us from greater things, greater enemies and greater problems that we have. And what are those? Within the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has come to save us from sin, Remember last week when we highlighted, it was Jesus who said, the real problem of Israel and the real problem of all humanity is what comes out of a person is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of the heart of a man comes what? A summary term, evil thoughts. Comes sexual immorality. So if you're struggling with sexual sin now, and that's the word for pornography, you're struggling with theft, with murder, with taking, with your eyes and with your heart, what rightly doesn't belong to you. You're struggling with adultery, you're two-timing, you're struggling with coveting, not being content with what you have, but you are coveting 
envying other people. You are you're struggling with deceit. You're struggling with sensuality. You're struggling with envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All those come from within because of our fallenness and our sinfulness. And remember the phrase, we are worse than we ever thought. And Jesus, in dying on the cross, we saw that it was a reflection of Psalm 22, the bulls, the lions, and the wild dogs. The description of men around this righteous person suffering, and they're behaving like beasts. And this finds its fulfillment of men and women behaving badly as they look at Jesus hanging, dying, bleeding on the cross. Instead of saying that He has come for us, they mock Him. So Jesus is the ultimate righteous sufferer, coming to save us from our heart of sin, that we might be given new hearts by His death and resurrection. In Mark's Gospel, He's also come to save us from Satan. Because in Mark chapter 5, He was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. In Jesus' earthly life, he performed two main things, exorcism and healings. And exorcisms and healing have one main message, that the kingdom of Satan, deforming men and women made in God's image, either by sickness or exorcism, deforming our minds, deforming our speech, deforming our human hostility and brutality against each other, is the work of Satan. So in that sense, all of us only have one enemy. I want you to remember that as you listen to this message of Easter. For all the teenagers and children, I want you to say, my daddy is not my enemy. My mummy is not my enemy, even if they tell me things that I don't like to hear. For husbands and wives sitting there, you may want to turn to each other and say, you are not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. To your parents who are there, the grandparents, Kung Kung is not your enemy, Popo is not your enemy. We have only one enemy in the universe. His name is Satan. And Jesus has been sent by God as God's final king to destroy the works of Satan. The third thing that Jesus saves us from is captured for us. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 35 to verse 36. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that it was possible the hour might pass from him. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup that Jesus is speaking about in this most sorrowful moment of his life is actually the cup of God's anger or the cup of God's wrath poured out on us for our rebellion, for our pride, for our sin to say to God, there is no need of you. I'm very well living my life my own way. And so this is the cup that he takes so Jesus has come to save us from sin. He's come to save us by destroying Satan's work. And he's come to save us from God's wrath. And that's the meaning of his death on the cross. 
So if we do ask the question, so what's so great about Jesus' death as compared to the billions of deaths that the world has witnessed and we have experienced in our life? We are born, we grow up, we grow old, we get wrinkled, we get disease, we die. It's a normal cycle of life. No, my friends. Jesus' death is the ultimate death. He is risen, He's not here. His resurrection, His coming back from the dead means that He's been rescued, He's been proven right, He's been vindicated by God and death will not hold Him down. And so Jesus rising is the death of death. And that's why it's the most important thing to understand of His life. And we will not understand His death until we understand the fullness of Psalm 22 that we looked at last week. You may want to listen to that message if you haven't already. So what does that mean for us? We said last week as we prepared for Good Friday, so our Good Friday reflections, our Good Friday meditations, if you're new to this, you're a seeker, you still do not know much about Christianity, but you now know the significance of Jesus coming is to save us from sin, is to save us from Satan, is to save us from God's anger for our pride and rebellion, for living our lives our own way, then we should confess our sin and say we are so sorry. I didn't know that living this way was offensive to you and destructive to myself. And we have to repent of any effort, any thought, that we can make this a better life for ourselves personally and make this a better world for ourselves collectively. That one day, death will come knocking on all our doors and you and me would have to go by opening that door. And we have then to yield completely to Jesus, loving us, suffering for us, dying for us, absorbing and taking God's wrath so lovingly and sacrificially on our behalf. And so if we reflect clearly on the Good Friday message and see that darkness were over the whole world at that time, Jesus was baptized by cosmic evil. But three days later, God in His holiness, God in His justice raised Jesus from the dead. If we ponder this well, then we shouldn't belittle any sin in our life. And sin is any expression of selfishness at the, at the expense of others. Sin is failing to love God and to love neighbor. Sin is all those things. So I do not know how you're coping with cabin fever. But um, maybe things are getting a little bit, a little bit rough in that uh, you're staying home, you can't go out to eat, and every day you're saying you're eating the same things and you're grumbling a little bit. So maybe we can do this in our families. Maybe you can start to pray that if you take sin seriously, you will take grumbling seriously, you will take the lack of contentment seriously, and you will now take thankfulness for everything. So if there's a family of four, daddy, mommy, son, daughter or five, you may want to split up your, your days into maybe Monday it is daddy's choice of food, Tuesday is mommy's choice of food, Right? Then Wednesday is the first, the eldest child, then the next day is the... And so you all have your choices. It's other person-centeredness. And you may want to 
help your daddy and mummy cook up a meal. It's a wonderful time to be doing things like that instead of just grumbling and being small-minded and being petty against each other. And so we can be loving while we do this. And there could be projects you do together, not just meals that you do together. Have you ever thought of cleaning the house and turning it from household chores to household joys? And this is how you can mop the floor. I should get a video going of how I mop the floor each week on a Sunday evening or Monday. And maybe I should do that because I mop the floor, I play the music, I sing, and I'm washing the toilet and we sing wonderful songs. You turn it from household chores to household joys. And only the Lordship of Jesus can bring about that change of mind and not get us into petty quarrels in our families. And what else could you do? We are all on virtuality with our handphones and our gadgets and the computers. We have so much time on our hands. We can call one person every day just to catch up with them, just to pray for them, just to say an encouraging word to them. These are all the ways we can express that we understand what the message of Good Friday is. There are some habits to stop, sinful habits to stop, and some godly habits to start. Remember I showed this last week? One of our small group members sent this of a son. I pray, mummy, that we don't make God sad. So now, as we have 30 days here in Singapore, with this circuit breaker, we hope that it's not just a circuit breaker to help overcome a virus, but it could be a spiritual circuit breaker that some of the bad habits of thinking, some of the bad habits of speaking, some of the bad habits of feeling and talking and doing things with each other will be repented of. We want to stop that way. I've said this many times here. I reminded my pastoral star. Maybe you just try one thing for the next 30 days. Your tone of voice in talking to each other, that your tone of voice is changed to a, a tender voice, a respectful voice. Right? So how many wives have said to me, you know, um, this one said, when my husband gets a, a phone call from someone in the office, his secretary or someone, he would just, hello, how are you? When he gets a phone call from me, his tone is, hey, what do you want? If you were to get him to change his tone of voice, it would take a miracle. Why should I change my tone of voice? Yes, it would take a miracle. It would take the miracle of Jesus being your Saviour, Jesus being the Lord, even of your tone of voice. So maybe for this week, the homework is very simply the sinful habits of the tone of voice, which is not dignified, not respectful. And from this point onwards, you pray to God and you change that. So godly habits to start, to begin with. Jesus breathed his last. And what does that mean? In the whole gospel message of Christ coming to die for our sins and to make us new, you are worse than you ever thought. I'm worse than I've ever thought. Jesus is better than we can ever imagine. And when you put the best, God's very best, when we were at our very worst, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, you see at just the right time, while we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. Have you ever wondered, why should God bother with someone like you and me, so proud, so stubborn, 
in our lives. Jesus, Jesus is better than we can ever imagine. So, what does that mean as we listen now to the resurrected Lord Jesus? What implications? We showed this last week. No movies, no concerts, no sporting events. God is very kind. He's cleared your entire diary. So you have all the time in the world to do what? To become more ungodly? <laughs> to become more sinful? Obviously not. God is giving you and me this circuit breaker, not simply to be rescued from a virus, but from spiritual habits. So for Easter, maybe it is knowing Jesus truly, the resurrected Jesus truly, if Good Friday is reflecting on our sinfulness, then Easter is reflecting on our godliness. The new life that is possible because Jesus is, is risen. So if you read 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, and one, why is 1 Peter, in what way is 1 Peter related to Mark? Because they think, Christian scholars think, that Mark, Peter, narrated this, and it was Mark who wrote this gospel. And by the time you read Peter, he's telling them in the first century where there was increasing persecution, increasing opposition of Christians by people around them, by the emperor and empire, that this is how we glorify God. We glorify God by exalting Jesus, by glorifying Jesus. And how do we glorify Jesus? Of course, the Bible tells us, by becoming like Him in Romans chapter 8, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son is God's purpose. And then telling of Jesus, what we call in technical terms, evangelism. And not just tell with our lips, but show with our lives that our lives are so different to people. So for one of a better acronym, BTS. And for those of us who watch Korean shows and Korean K-pop, BTS famous. Becoming like Jesus, telling of Jesus, the showing of Jesus is how we glorify Jesus and glorify God. So what does that mean? In 1 Peter, the telling of Jesus, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of what? Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So whatever we do not know as God's people, and this terms, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people of his own possession, four titles were actually titles given to Israel as God's people. But they failed to live up to all those titles, and now all those titles have been transferred to all who believe in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. So when God looks at us through Christ, we are chosen people. We are royal priesthood. And though you may feel unholy, we are a holy nation, a people of God's possession. And God has done this, not through anything we've done, but through what Jesus has done, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him. And so we got to tell of Jesus, tell of Jesus, even more so during COVID-19. Because all the solutions we are looking at humanly, horizontally, might cure us, only for us to die a few years later. But the good news that we have is that all who believe in Jesus will rise to eternal life to live with God forever and ever. And so one of our leaders just shared this story of someone in this group, in this small group. And they shared this story of a church member whose father 
whose aging father was fighting cancer. And she prayed. She has been witnessing to the father, witnessing to the father, and he finally accepted the good news, listened to the good news, accepted Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And why is this such a beautiful story? Because for years and years, the relationship between father and daughter was broken. It was broken when the daughter became a Christian and decided as part of her believing in Jesus, she could no longer hold joysticks and worship the ancestors because she could only worship the one true and living God. And so it was a broken relationship. But through years and years of telling the gospel and showing the gospel to her father, she finally prayed the sinner's prayer with him. And then she said to her father, I will see you in heaven one day. And they both said, I love you, and hugged each other. And when I read that, it touched me because it made me remember my own witnessing to my own father. Illiterate, came from China, and then in his dying days from lung cancer, as he was in hospital, I took some days of leave to spend time with him. My dialect is Teochew, my Teochew, my dialect is so broken and so bad, so I had to go and borrow some cassette tapes that had the gospel and preached the gospel. And I kept playing it to dad when, in his waking moments. And one day he just called me by name, Tiama, Lai. And he started to talk to me about what he just listened. And he said that Jesus' life was a very sad life, a pitiful life. So I said, what do you mean? I say, I call him Achek, which means uncle. Right? What do you mean? And he said, I look at his life. He, was, he tried to help people, but everybody hated him. Then I saw my father tear up. You know why? Because for most of his life, my dad was such an altruistic man. He went out to help neighbour anyone he could help, but oftentimes he would get backstabbed. And so he knew of Jesus' suffering and I took that opportunity to say, once you understand that he came and suffered not for himself but for us, you can believe in him. And I prayed that prayer of my dad. And it was my way of saying to dad, I don't know how to love you and I want to see you with God and I want to see you again. And the best way to say that is to tell the gospel to our loved ones. And so we need to tell the gospel. We also need to show the gospel. And 1 Peter, he says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. They say, as Peter writes this, his wisdom for this most likely comes from the Old Testament reflecting on Daniel and his friends when they went into exile. And when they went into exile, God's instructions to Daniel, the Israelites who went to exile, wasn't to hate the city, but to seek the welfare of the city. And so Peter takes that and now he writes and he teaches the New Testament Christians and we are in the same boat 
that as believers in Jesus, it is as if we have dual citizenship. Our true eternal home is the kingdom of God and heaven when Jesus returns. But en route, we are still to seek the welfare of the city by not just telling the gospel by our lips, but showing it with our lives. And that is why we came up with a prayer diary. And the prayer diary, the seven days, we say the first day you pray for our authorities, our government, we pray for the prime minister, the cabinet ministers, you pray for the MPs, we pray for all who are working so hard, the ministers, Gan Kim Yong, Lawrence Wong, the COVID force. Then Tuesday, we say we pray for the last line of defence, our health workers who are out there. We pray for the civil servants who are crafting, thinking of the best policies as we look at the, at the situation. And I'm told, you know why we say this? We say this because we are citizens of this kingdom, that preserving life is part of God's common grace. And we say this specifically in ARPC because such a high proportion of our people work as healthcare workers, from nurses to doctors out there. And so many of us are civil servants working round the clock to overcome this together. And so in a few moments, we're going to close our time. As we close our time, we're going to sing two songs. One, of what it means to do our part here. And I think a song that is tucked at the heart of Singaporeans is home. And as Christians, we can sing that with a double focus, that we can be good citizens to our country, to our nation and our neighbours, going out sacrificially to serve them, as we are doing now in huge numbers in ARPC and beyond, the whole Christian community, as fellow citizens, yet we keep our eye on our eternal home, our eternal home, the new Jerusalem. So allow me to pray as we end together. We thank you and praise you, Heavenly Father, for revealing to us the purpose, the significance of Jesus' suffering culminating in his death and finally reversed by his resurrection. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that this is your glorious plan not to leave us in a world where Satan rules, where sin rules, where disease and decay and finally death is our final destiny. You did not create us to be as such, to live only to die, to be separated from you because of your rightful wrath against us. And so we thank you that Jesus' death is the death of all deaths because you vindicated him and you raised him from the dead. And even now, the Lord Jesus is seated at your right hand, crowned and enthroned by you as King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority has been handed to him and we look forward to his return. And we pray that in accepting Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord, we would spend our life becoming like Him, telling the good news about Him and showing it with our life. And we pray that by the power of Your Spirit, by the enlightenment of Your Word, we will be able to do so. As dual citizens, temporarily of wherever You put us, doing our part in love sacrificially, wherever we serve, to be a light pointing people to Jesus. And finally, because Jesus lives, 
we are confident of our eternal home. Amen.